Okay, we're all in take five. Hook them up with E and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. Rod B on this uh, Tuesday. It's going to feel like a Monday for a lot of you. If you enjoyed the three-day weekend. It was a feast of football, baseball as well. We'll recap it all coming up with our headlines. Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, will join us coming up. His recap, and he was at that TCU Colorado thriller on Saturday afternoon. Also, uh, we'll go behind the burnt orange curtain again with Rod Babers at the bottom yes, of the hour. And uh, off the record as well. I got some stuff for off the record. We just heard from Joey McGuire. This guy says, perfect use of life comes at you fast, Rod B. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Things but, are looking good. You're talking smack about Texas mm. and so-called blue bloods, and then you play Wyoming. <laughs> you play Wyoming. You jump up 17 to nothing. And I think that was probably the, that probably was one of the worst things that happened to him in the game. After that, they probably everybody probably relaxed. Like, oh, we're going to blow them out. Yeah. Everybody relaxed and yeah, we went too fast, didn't it? Yes, exactly. Well, remember uh, Joey McGuire, who I do like, uh, and I think he's going to be good for for Lubbock. Joe me the money. Joe me the money. Uh, they won a lot of close games last year, right? They had several overtime games, and um, you know, so you 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 live on that edge. Sometimes yeah, and you're going to lose it. The, the fourth downs, they had more fourth down attempts yeah. than anybody else in the country. Uh, they converted, I think, like 62% of them. Against Texas, they were 6 of 8. Um, also, they had they had like top three, top three to top five best fumble luck in college football on both sides of the ball. What a great stat. They they really they, they luck, yeah they recovered more of their fumbles like that they lost on offense not lost but that they had on offense and the ones on defense they were like top five in the country and fumble fumble luck it's kind of a weird you know data scientist stat but I remember one in particular that Bijan wasn't very good oh yeah exactly Bijan no, Robinson they had I want to say against Texas they had two or three they recovered all of them yeah they, were, they recovered they were like all two of them Bijan who never the fumbles yeah. put it on the ground yeah. But, you know, Rod, before we get to our headlines and Craven, and we're talking Texas and Alabama, biggest concern for the Big 12 and for, for is Baylor. I mean, Baylor got beat by Texas State, and it's yeah. a huge accomplishment for G.J. Kinney in that program. And Don Coriel, the AD, made a great hire. Um, but Baylor, Baylor plays Utah this week, Rod. Mm-hmm. And Utah beat Florida last week. And Baylor mm-hmm. now has a quarterback problem because Blake Shapin is hurt. If you watch that Texas State game, Blake Shapin played most of the game with a knee injury. He was hobbling around and trying to, to will Baylor to the win. Now Shapin's out for three to four weeks, according to Dave Aranda. So is, when does Texas play him? They, they may, he may not play in that game. Oh, so he, yeah, he's going to miss that Texas game. Four, right? Yeah, I think you're right. It's early. It's early. Baylor it's the first conference Texas, game for Texas. Texas. Yeah, so he's going to miss that game. Oh, okay. I didn't even think MCL. about that. Right. Yeah, he's going to miss that game versus Texas. He's definitely I don't think they have much of a backup quarter. I, yeah, they did have the transfer kid come in that – didn't do much in the spring, so we'll have to learn more we'll about see. him. But Blake Shapin, and if you if you saw the the, that, the highlights of that game or that game, Blake Shapin was making some great throws on one leg. Essentially, I mean, he was because he's got he's the baseball guy. Yeah, he can sling it. Yeah, that game. Yeah, that game's in three weeks. That came September twenty third. I don't gonna think we're going to see Blake Shapin playing in that. There game. you go. So that, that, that was. And remember, I've talked ad nauseum about. Dave Aranda's pressure packages and him figuring out a great way to expose Texas pass protections. Well, 
makes tech, it makes Baylor a lot less formidable. And I know formidable when you have to worry about, yes, still got to worry about the defense, but they may not be able to keep up with you offensively. Well, they just gave up 42 on defense to Texas State. <laughs> okay, then maybe I was wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a good, he had a good game plan versus Texas. Oh, here's that, that stat that I uh, about Texas Tech. They recovered 22 of 33 total fumbles last season. They were one of three teams to rank top 20 um, in the FBS in recovering their own fumbles and opponent fumbles. Yes, Only yeah, two other teams were also stat. in that category. So that's a, that's usually something that's not really – that's not something that – that's a, that's, a that's a method to, to that as a defense. That's not really your – you can make – you can knock the ball out, but we know that ball bounces all types of crazy ways. So that was more luck for Texas Tech. And you make your own luck, but that's something that may not – that may regress to the mean for them. Well, interesting, yeah. uh, without a doubt. And, yeah, Blake Shapin out two to three weeks, so they say. So – you know, that game's on September 23rd. They'll play Utah this week. He will not play, uh, obviously. This says uh, makes you wonder the kid from Dripping Springs, Austin Novosada, not decommitted from Baylor. He might be playing quarterback for um, the Baylor Bears. Very true. He, yeah, he, he might have beat out Blake Shapin. Well, well, Shapin was the highest-graded player for Baylor in that game, and even when he played and hurt, he was good. I'm talking about coming up last year. Yo, last year, he was up last not, year. Blake Shapin right. was not good last year. You're so. right. Yeah. In that game, though, he was particularly pretty darn good. They just gave up too many points, and, and Texas State controlled that game. Well, think about uh, Austin Novosad, Rod. He is at Oregon, mm-hmm. and Oregon scored 81 points on Saturday against Portland State. He likes that offense they're in. Yeah. <laughs> and guess who, guess who Oregon plays this week? And, by the way, Oregon's offensive coordinator is the former Lake Travis High school assistant, and what's one of the reasons? Was he one from UTSA? Yes. Matter of fact, he's the one that cooked up the game plan against Texas or used the empty formations I talked about. I think that was him. Well, guess what? He's he's sharp. He's sharp. Guess what? Oregon's playing at Texas Tech this week. In Lubbock. Oh, with that Kitley offense? Hey, they're going to slang it. That's going to be a high scoring game. Yeah. They're going to score some points in that game. I know Oregon's defense is pretty good, but Texas Tech's still going to score some points. I mean, that's just Tech. Uh, T.J. Finley went off for Texas State. That's true. He's the uh, big, big, tall did. quarterback. He was, uh, my man Hart says it's Sawyer Ro- Robertson is the transfer from Mississippi State. For Baylor? Grew up in Lubbock. No, yeah, grew up in Lubbock. Well, it's uh, yeah. week two will come fast. His father was a teammate of Hart. Hart's no every damn body. Hart's no everybody. <laughs> uh, all right, so Oregon at Texas Tech this week. It'll be uh, Baylor and Utah, and, of course, Texas and Alabama. Let's get you caught up on the news. Top Gun, Lawn and Equipment Rentals bring you the headlines, and we'll start with those Longhorns who have been installed as a seven and a half point underdog in their showdown game at Alabama on Saturday at six o'clock. Uh, Longhorns did win their first game, thirty-seven to ten, but uh, offense skipped and sputtered through the first half. Got its rhythm in the third quarter. Defense was dominant all game. Uh, of course, Texas now goes toe to toe with Alabama. Uh, what a uh, monumental task it is, considering the tide are 84-5 and at Bryant-Denny Stadium since 2008. They've won their last 20 games on their home turf. ESPN will air the game at 6 o'clock Saturday. Four-letter network also announced yesterday the college game day, and that crew will be live on Saturday morning on campus. Great news yesterday for the Longhorns. Head coach Steve Sarkeesian confirmed the freshman running back C.J. Baxter returned to practice uh, yesterday. He left in the second quarter of Saturday's win with a minor rib injury. Consider this, the 6'1", 218-pound true freshman from Orlando became the first Texas running back, a freshman, to start the season with the first team since Ricky Williams in 1995. Before that, it was Earl Campbell in 1974. Stunner to wrap up the college football weekend last night. Duke Blue Devils dismantled ninth-ranked Clemson 28-7. Two-touchdown underdog emphatically beat the mistake-prone Tigers to notch their first win over an AP top-10 opponent since 1989. 
Clay Klubnick and Clemson moved the ball last night. They piled up 29 first downs, over 420 yards of offense, but had two short field goals blocked. They turned the ball over three times, including twice inside the five-yard line. Major League Baseball, Houston Astros rallied to take game one of that Lone Star Series, the final one of 2023. They win it 13-6 last night. Rangers built an early 3-0 lead, but then Houston went bombs away five home runs later. Two for Jose Altuve, two for Mauricio Dubon, and a big three-run shot from the rookie catcher Yiner Diaz. That capped a six-run seventh inning that blew the game open. Mariners lost yesterday in Cincinnati, so as we start the morning, the Astros have pulled even with Seattle atop the West. Rangers a game back of both. Game two of that big series is tonight at Globe Life Field. Framber Valdez for Houston. Nathan Eovaldi is back for the Rangers. His first start in seven weeks for Texas. Also tonight, Round Rock opened the series in El Paso. Corn headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. The heat's made us crazy. Get up to $100 off select steel backpack blowers and employee pricing on all zero-turn mowers in stock this month at Top Gun. TopGun.net will shoot you straight. All right, let's go straight to the Vaqueros hotline, Ron, because Ooh, he is the it. senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He's my co-host on the Eyes on Texas multicast that will come out today, our episode reviewing week one and the Longhorn win over the uh, Rice Owls. He is our man, Mike Craven. Craven, how are you, bud? Doing good, guys. How are y'all? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining us, brother. Appreciate you doing, doing this. Hey, listen, uh, you wrote the, the, the preview of the Rice Owls uh, for the magazine, and you wrote all the previews for the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Bible of Texas Football. Um, what did you think of, of the Rice-Texas game? You knew both very well. Yeah, I mean, it went the way I thought it was going to. I think one of the things we need to remember here is, is Rice probably prepared for Texas for about six or seven months in the offseason, and Texas probably prepared for Rice for about six or seven days, right? And so – um, I, you know, I think Rice looked at a lot of things that Texas did offensively and came up with a pretty good game plan. You know, they brought in Derek Mason as an analyst over the offseason. Him and Bloom are, are really tight. And so, you know, I'm sure they cut some things up that that offense just hadn't seen on Rice tape before. It confused that offensive line. It took Texas a little while to get going. But, you know, they came out of the second half and went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown on offense. The defense played great for, for 60 minutes, one of the better performances uh, from the Texas defense in a long time. And so – I think it was fine for Texas. It all comes down to week two and how they play against Alabama. If they beat Rice 70-3 to and then lay an egg against Alabama, nobody cares. Um, if they go and beat Alabama next week, nobody cares that the first half was a little sluggish. So that's kind of my overall take about week one. We kind of treat it like a preseason game and then move on from there. Hey, Mike, what are your thoughts about uh, Quinn Ewers and seeing Quinn Ewers' first uh, showcase uh, of 2023? Yeah, I, I think we're at a point. We talked about this a little bit on the podcast like last night that that E said was coming out. I, I think we're at a point where maybe this Quinn Ewers doesn't throw a deep ball very well, and, and it's up to Sark to kind of, it's up to Sark to kind of figure out how to manage that and how to like do the best for him. Like he's he's the guy who comes up with the game plans and calls the plays. If your quarterback doesn't do a thing really well, like maybe move away from it. And I think that's gonna be up to Sark and the maturity of, of him just kind of growing up as a head coach and as a play caller. You don't need Quinn Ewers to be Troy Aikman or Trevor Lawrence to go win a Big 12 title and play in a college football playoff. You know, Max Duggan did it last year, and he wasn't, you know, great in every single aspect of, of play. So I think we see Quinn Ewers as this five-star, perfectly rated prospect out of 24-7 and just think he can do everything, but maybe he can't. And, and if he's not a great deep ball thrower, uh, then it's up to the coaches around him to figure out how to how to manipulate that and keep that uh, from being a problem. 
preaching to the Rod Babers choir right there, Mike Craven. Uh, if he doesn't throw the deep ball, don't throw it. But can Sark mm-hmm. not have the deep ball as part of his offense will become a problem or a, or a uh, conundrum to figure mm-hmm. out the deep ball dilemma. Hey, uh, Mike, the uh, you were because for Dave Campbell's Texas football, you're going to go to 13 different stadiums this year in the state of Texas to cover 13 different programs. You were at TCU this week to see the uh, the incredible debut of Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. You said you, you saved your press credential because that one felt like it, it might uh, might be a, one of those you know seismic type of games with Deion Sanders and his impact on college football. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the more surreal things I've ever been at, right? I mean, like, you know, even two, three hours before the game when Dion gets got there, it was already a show. You know, like everything he does is a show. Um, he's just charismatic in a way that, that is rare for football coaches. Um, and so uh, I just think the way that they go about talent acquisition and you watch Travis Hunter and you watch Shadir Sanders and just the magnetic uh, nature of Dion. That team's going to be one that we watch every single week. Like Fox Big News kickoff was supposed to be in Lubbock for the Texas Tech-Oregon uh, game, and that loss at Wyoming probably probably ruined some of that. But they're just kind of following Dion. Like they're going to Boulder now um, to watch them play against Nebraska. Uh, Big 12 football, because of Dion, is going to be must watch in, in 2024 and beyond. And I think that's some of the point, right, is he kind of knows how to get eyeballs on those guys. And I, w- I was absolutely floored by how well they played it. it, it I think the transfer portal is probably going to get, you know, less boogeyman now. I mean, you saw what Texas State did to Baylor with a bunch of transfers. You saw what Colorado did to TCU with a bunch of transfers. SMU looked really good with a bunch of transfers. So maybe that kind of roster building won't be as much of a a bugaboo moving forward because of the success some of these teams are having. Hey, Mike, what were your thoughts uh, about what you saw from uh, the Baylor Bears losing to Wyoming? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's hard to figure out what Baylor is, right? And, like, when a coaching change happens and, and you win a lot of football games early on, that whole conversation happens about, like, well, did you just win with the last guy's players? And, mm-hmm. and if you look back on that 21 team, you know, that was Terrell Bernard. That was Jalen Petrie. That was Abram Smith. That was a lot of Matt Rule, Joey McGuire guys. If you look at the recruiting Dave Aran has done over the last couple of years, he hasn't replaced those with like guys. There's not seven or eight NFL players. Uh, on this team and there's not six or seven NFL players on that defense and when Baylor was winning a lot of games in 2021 they weren't scoring a lot of points you can go back and look at that second half of the schedule they were winning by scoring 2021 points against really good competition that defense just wasn't allowing a lot of points now all of a sudden without those superstars on the defense they're allowing a lot of points and the offense just isn't built to score like that I mean they scored 31 points uh, against Texas State, and that would have been good enough to win all 12 regular season games back in 2021 for Baylor. Uh, but it's not anymore because the defense isn't there. Uh, Aranda's looking down the barrel of a 1-5 and five start. I mean, they got Utah in Week 2, mm. Texas in Week 4, UCF in Week 5, and Texas Tech in Week 6. And so um, outside of Rhode Island in Week 3, there's not a just guaranteed win on that schedule. They could be 1-5 and five and, and, eight, and heading towards you know their third losing seasons in four years. It's just wild that the other one is the best season in Baylor history. He is Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He'll be in Lubbock this week. We'll get a thought on the, the, the matchup with Oregon and Texas Tech. But I wanted to double back and ask you about the Deion Sanders postgame because you were there. We've played a lot of the sound from it. I mean, as you, you're a big uh, wrestling guy, I mean, De- you said it. Deion's going to be a show, and it was it was tremendous theater. And uh, what did you make of that, just, just being a part of that, that press conference? I mean, it, I think it's hilarious. Like, I was sitting there, like, smiling and cracking up the whole time. And it's, it's, 
what I find amazing about Dion is he never breaks character. And to me, that, that shows that he is just the character, right? Like, he just lives that lifestyle. Like, that's what he really believes. Because it always sounds like a promo. It always sounds like something kind of, like, rehearsed and made to, to kind of get the cameras and stuff. But I think this is how Dion operates. Like, anybody who heard his pregame speech and stuff like that, this is who he is. And uh, it's, I think it's enjoyable. I think it's good for college football. I think Dion's good for college football. I think personalities are good for college football. And I think sometimes we try to strangle the fun out of this thing. Uh, and it's still supposed to be really fun. And Dion makes it more fun than it was without him. And the Travis mm-hmm. Hunter performance, uh, Mike, you said to me last night, might be the best individual performance you've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, it was like Vince Young in the Rose Bowl level of impressive, right? I mean, like it was one of the top five individual performances I've ever seen. And he may go on to to do 10 or 11 more of those, just the way he plays football. Like, I... I would love to know Rod's opinion on like if he thought that was possible at that kind of level to play like, I mean he was he was he was getting covered by the best corner in the Big Twelve and just torching him, and then he was covering some of the better wide receivers in the Big Twelve and locking them down. I mean that interception was incredible. He was a couple drop passes away from having two picks and two touchdowns in yeah. his first game at the FBS level. Just absolutely insane. And one of those that we all just kind of set in the press box and just you know a bunch of guys that have covered a lot of college football are trying to figure out a, a, the thing that reminded them of that, and they couldn't come up with it. That's how rare it was. It was an impressive thing to watch and, and something I'll probably remember for a long time. No, he's basically Shohei Otani. He's, he's, we were looking for a Shohei comparison because we hadn't found one in sports, and then Travis Hunter just gave us one. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Hey, uh, Mike, the, uh, this is funny that uh, I'm a big fan. Rod's a big fan. You grew up an old Oilers fan. Love and uh, blue, baby. Houston Cougars are donning the uniforms. I hope they keep them. But you told me last night that, that you ha- you knew that story since June, and you said you had to hold it. You couldn't put it oh. out. You couldn't reveal it. as You you couldn't burn your source, who was the athletic director, I believe. But uh, how hard was that not to tell the world? Because you, you know, you're a big Oiler guy. Yeah, usually the news that I have and I have to keep to myself for a month is very boring. You know, none of my friends want to talk about North Texas or Rice or some administrative thing or something behind the scenes. But they all would have wanted to talk about those Houston jerseys. And uh, I just couldn't say anything about it because I knew if you started talking about it, it was going to get somewhere just because people were going to react the way that they did to it. I thought it was genius marketing. I don't know if I would have done game one. I probably would have waited until like that TCU Big 12 opener or Mm. maybe Texas at home or something like that. Uh, but it was very smart, and I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with your opinion that they should figure out a way to do that more, or maybe integrate that permanently somehow, because you know those are the national colors of Houston, Texas. Like baby blue and red uh, are the favorite colors of Houston, Texas, and that remains true uh, to this day. And there's just something that is uh, a reactionary to those jerseys, and, and I think the whole city kind of enjoyed that. They're going to sell a ton of shirts and hats and jerseys and make a lot of money from that merchandise. Yep. No doubt. Hey, uh, lastly, you're going to Lubbock this week, and uh, Joey McGuire's team just lost at Wyoming after they built a 17-point lead and couldn't hold it. They lose in overtime, so they're 0-1 coming home to face an Oregon team that scored over 80 points in their opener with Bo Nix. Uh, what, what are you looking forward to seeing in that game? Yeah, it's kind of been Jekyll and Hyde for Joey McGuire. You know, he said everything runs through Lubbock, and maybe that just means when he's actually in Lubbock because they're 1-5. <laughs> You know, they're one in five on the road in his tenure. Um, you know, and a lot of those, they've been the underdog and the loss, you know, against teams that they were supposed to last year. But this was kind of the first one where it was a real upset. You know, they were one of three in-state teams that, that were double-digit, you know, favorites and lost. And, and they got out to a 17 nothing lead, and then it just kind of trickled off there offensively. I, I don't know if we know what Tyler Shuck is. You know, he, he has played really well before. 
Uh, and that was the, actually that was Tyler Shuck's first loss that he played the full game for Texas Tech. So he's just dealt uh, with a lot of injuries. But I, I think at home against Oregon with all the pub, it's going to be sold out. It's going to be a night game. Playing at night at Jones Stadium is one of the more unique experiences in the state. I think Tech is going to come out and play really well. Uh, but it still just shows that he's in year two, and they're not all the way where they need to be roster-wise for sure. And your thoughts on Texas-Alabama uh, thumbnail? Do you think Texas has a shot uh, to become just the sixth team since 2008 to win at Bryant-Denny? I do. I mean, I think they have the ingredients, at least on paper, to, to go win that football game. You know, I've, I've watched Jalen Milrow play for a long time, for a lot of years, dating back to his Katie Tompkins days and you know, I would take Quinn Ewers over him. You know, I think I think Texas has the better quarterback. I think Texas has the better skill position players. I think the defenses are, are pretty comparable, and you know, it's going to come down to the offensive line and who creates a push, who can protect their quarterback, who can figure out a way uh, to run the football. It was a one-point game last year, and it came down to three or four plays. I think it's going to be a pretty close game this year that comes down to three or four plays, and you know, maybe Texas is mature enough to handle that at this moment. It's awesome. Uh, mm. All right, Mike, the story that you dropped today that two people should go read at Dave Campbell's uh, at TexasFootball.com is the name of the Dave Campbell's website. Uh, the story of G.J. Kinney and his father, and people know that his father, when he was a high school football coach in East Texas, was shot uh, and nearly killed by a disgruntled parent in his football office. And G.J. was just a kid at the time. Now he's the coach at Texas State. It's a must-read uh, for college football fans. But a uh, great story this morning, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of the more interesting stories in college football right now. I mean, G.J. Kenny's dad gets shot. They play that year. And then in that by-district round, they upset the number one-ranked Gilmer Buckeyes, coached by Jeff Trailer. Uh, the next year, Gary Joe, G.J.'s dad, is going to go coach at Baylor, his alma mater, kind of get out of high school coaching, keep recovering from that stomach wound. Where does G.J. transfer? To Gilmer, to play for Jeff Trailer, and, and they become really tight. G.J. was in Jordan Trailer's wedding over this offseason. Jeff Trailer considers him a son. G.J. considers him a second dad. And on Saturday, they're about to play against each other. And so uh, it's just fun, you know, when Texas high school football stories like that come together. And it's one of the more wild, you know, it, it feels like it should be a movie. or but I mean, like keeping it at a thousand words was nearly impossible because it's something uh, that could be written about for like 80,000 words in a book or something like that. It's one of those, you know, big East Texas kind of high school tales. It's going to be an interesting one on Saturday. And with with Texas State looking so good in week one, all of a sudden that's a that's a real game. There's probably going to be about 40,000 people in the Alamo Dome, so it should be a fun one over the weekend. Thank you, buddy. Nice. Good stuff on the recap. Uh, there's Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, also a part of that Eyes on Texas multicast that we will drop today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Talk to you all later. All right, there you go. Yeah, he, had, he had that story for month, six weeks. Yeah, I love you, blue uniforms. Can't put out the uni. Wait, I wonder if you could have got you know a pre-order then. I know before they sell out or something like that. Because I'm with them. I want, I want hat. I want shirts. I told my brother to get on it. Get I need on hats. It. I need shirts. Yeah, man, that's gear. It, I'm with you. They should definitely wear it more than once a year. I think they will because the response was so overwhelmingly positive. Like you, it, generationally. It hit with all generations. The, the kids, the young kids liked it. Old people, like the olds, people older than us were like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. Everybody, people who aren't even uh, uh, Love You Blue Oiler fans are like, now those are sharp. really cool uniforms. Sharp. It, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear one criticism really of them. From I, anybody. Agreed. agreed. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was a visceral thing for fans. And, oh, you know, man. That's, the, that's a smart move. Now, they won the game, too. They beat UTSA. And I, was, I was a little surprised they beat UTSA, actually. I, was, I thought UTSA would win that game. We'll come back and uh, go behind the burn orange curtain. Also, we'll, we'll dabble in some of the Mike's thoughts that, you know, how about Dave Aranda could be looking at one and five to start this year if he's not careful. Now he his quarterback is hurt. Yeah. Texas Tech playing Oregon mm. this week. Texas going to Alabama. 
uh, UTSA, Texas State this weekend. Yeah, and I'm uh, glad that he agrees that, listen, it's okay that Quinn Ewers can't throw the deep ball. It's all right. Like it's it's it. Lowland fans are not freaking out about. It. It's like it doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback just because he's not good. There's something that you're not good at doesn't mean that you are that your you entire else. entire skill set should be thrown out the thrown out the baby with the bathwater. No, you got yeah, you work on it. You got strengths and you got weaknesses. One of his weaknesses is the deep ball. It's just I think for Longhorn fans, it's hard to fathom. It's hard for them to fathom like he's got the golden arm that can make any throw, but he can't complete the deep ball. It, it yes, I agree. Usually that's not the case, but it, it seems to be the case here. You have enough case study now and sample size yes. to say, you know what? He's just not good at that. Uh, you know, it's it, not it, and it's the Bill Belichick motto, right? Don't ask someone to do something they can't do. Yeah. Play to the strengths, and you have a quarterback that can make a lot of throws, and so call those throws. Call, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old Astros model, right, with their pitchers. Like, yeah. We're going to find – through analytics, we'll find out what pitches you're really good at and which ones you're bad at. We're going to throw more of the pitches you're good at Thank you. and less of the ones you're bad at. That seems, that seems logical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we will come back. Rod will do more of that behind the BOC. We'll also uh, get off the record before the end of this hour. We're glad you're with us on a Tuesday. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. We're going off the record before the top of this hour, and in that, did you see the tease from Peyton Manning yesterday, Rod? Peyton Manning, you know, he and Eli host the Manning cast. Yeah, I did see that uh, potential third maybe coming on. Yeah, we'll debate that coming up and off the record. Mm. Also, uh, we'll remind you that uh, I host the essentially the Manning cast on Inside Texas, Rod. That's right. Excited to do that again this week and all season In-game long. In-game watch, baby. In-game watch with us party where we watch the game and I'm the uh, the host throughout the game and then insiders and guests join me throughout including Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton and Eric Nolene and uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Wells will be with us or Justin, Justin Wells, Wells I should say. You may jump in every now and yep. again and uh, excited to do that again this week and I'm going to be doing it live from out at the field house at the Crossing Rod where we're doing our pregame watch party and pregame show on Saturday to get you ready for Texas and Alabama. If you've never been to the field house at the oh, crossing. Oh, you're going to love it. Bring the kids because there's plenty of room for them to like, wear themselves Yeah, because you could sit up <laughs> under the patio up during the awning and sit uh, sit inside too. Mm-hmm. But, man, they have the huge outdoor area with the, the biggest big screen TV you'll ever see. Um, that's where we're going to set up on the stage up there, Rod, to do our pregame show. But nice. you can bring your chairs and you, they, there's so much space to park and, and have some some cold Bud Lights and drinks and food and watch the game and watch the games that are on before the, the Texas-Alabama game and then uh, be ready to go. The kids will love it. They can run around and play in the sand volleyball courts and on the soccer fields oh, and all man. that stuff. It's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. So that's uh, Fieldhouse at the Crossing on Saturday. We'll be out there on, live on air about 3.30 to about 5.30, and the kick is at 6. And then uh, I'll be hosting that Inside Texas thing from uh, – Back in the back there. Nice. So I'm excited about that, Rod. It's going to be cool. Yeah, I'm excited about the game and to watch it out there. And it's cool to watch else. with fans, right? We'll watch it with Longhorn fans and, and feel the energy. And, oh, you know, yeah, it's hopefully, be a lot of it. hopefully it's good energy. Well, we know. We've told you Texas has a, a Herculean task. You know, the, the numbers are, are staggering for Nick Saban. Since, he, since 09, when they won their first national championship and beat Texas in the Rose Bowl, They've only lost four home games, Rod. Four since 09, five yeah. since 08. And they're all to elite quarterback or elite quarterback play for most of them. Except for the LSU game. In, 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 Which was an elite top five defense. Yeah, they went to the final defense. The final was 9-6. Yeah. So basically, you're either going to go there and beat them. Something's got to be elite in that performance 
when you beat Nick Saban in Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and it's usually the quarterback, but if not your quarterback, then it's got to be your defense. So the Texas defense, I guess they're closer to having an elite defense than an elite quarterback right now. So the defense needs to lead the way. They do, and that's what they're ahead. And <laughs> if we – several people texted and said, uh, hey, uh, our man – uh, Craig said, hey, you guys may remember Troy Aikman was not a very good deep ball throw either, and it worked out for him. Yeah. Troy was very good on the slant routes and corner. Troy was one of the best intermediate, most accurate intermediate throwers NFL's ever had. But, yes, he wasn't a, a premier deep ball thrower. It's okay. It's like, okay. It, 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 and you just may not have the you know the high success rate of other quarterbacks when they throw the deep ball, but you can still – you know, incorporate into your game, it just won't be a huge part of the game. And for Sark, this will end up being a great test for him as a play caller, and it will really be a test of his ability to evolve as a play caller. We know he's stubborn about the deep ball. Um, Will he allow his stubborn streak, all right, to uh, kind of distort the reality, which is his quarterback, even though he's got the golden arm, is one of the weaknesses of his game is his deep ball. And though that's Sark's, Sark's preference, more, more obsession and compulsion than proclivity, but he really wants to be, that to be a part of his game. So if Sark evolves as a play caller, he'll decrease the amount of deep balls, especially on first down where most of them come, 48% of them, um, even higher versus Rice. I think it was four of the six were on first down and putting them behind the chain. So Sark's evolution will be on display here. If he's stubborn and doesn't evolve, He's going. He's going to tank his quarterback season, in my opinion. He will. Well, that's a strong opinion, backed by yeah. the data. Let's dive into uh, the burn orange curtain. Let's go behind it. Rod's got good stuff. And they were all asking themselves the same question: What is behind that curtain? All right. Now, yesterday, Sark had his media availability, and we'll play some more Sark uh, audio. But I want to play some of the audio from the players. Uh, J.T. Sanders spoke to the media, as well as Kelvin Banks, done by two of the leaders on that offense. And the offense did have their struggles early on in the game, especially in that first half. Uh, first of all, we want to hear from J.T. Sanders. Now, I love how honest J.T. Sanders is. Uh, and he admits something here that I'm glad he admits to. He's, he was talking about his touchdown in the second half and talking about the adjustments that Texas made in the second half to add some juice to the offense. Um, but listen to the uh, what he admits here um, in this uh, piece of audio. Oh, yeah, for sure. we definitely needed that. You know, Rice came out there to play, and we weren't we weren't executing to the best of our ability that first half. And, you know, we was known as a can't finish in the second half team, so to come out in the second half and do what we did, score three drives back-to-back, it was a great feeling for us. We're known as a can't finish in the second half team. Anybody pick up on that? I did. We known. So, trust me, they know. They know what the narrative is. Yeah, we known as a can't finish in the is second a, half team. Is it a narrative or is it uh, based on factual? Evidence? Oh no, yeah, that's like I say. Uh, once is uh, once is an outlier. All right, two times. You know that's a bit of a, a pattern. Three times is a bit of a trend. Four or five times. We're talking about habitual. And that's pretty. That's what this team is kind of borderline on. They're bordering on this being habitual for them because they have yet. Last year they outscored their opponents about 179 points in the first three quarters combined. Um, in the fir- in the fourth quarter and in overtime combined, they were outscored by their opponents last season. And you pointed this out, E. 
And even versus Rice. They were outscored in the fourth. <laughs> they were outscored in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Seven to nothing. <laughs> you had five losses last year, and I believe you failed to outscore your opponent or you were outscored by your opponent in the fourth quarter in overtime in four of those five losses. Yeah, so, and obviously the Texas had pulled. But, again, this this team needs to learn to play four quarters of football. Yeah, play four quarters, baby. And they yeah. they, 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 they had they, the back-to-back big penalties in, mm-hmm. the, in the fourth quarter that prevented more scoring and – uh, Rice did go on that nine-minute drive when yep, they kept the ball, kept the ball, and pretty much iced out the game and scored their only touchdown of the ball game. So but, there you uh, go. That's big. That's gonna be big. Trust me. If you're gonna beat Nick Saban, well, how many? How many of those uh, upset? Not upsets. I guess that most of them probably were upsets. But those home losses for Alabama, all of them were one-score games, right? Yeah. The, the the five games I counted from 2008 combined losses were by 20 points, or you okay. can combine them all. Yeah, I mean, you had a one-point loss, three-point loss, five-point loss, six-point loss. It's going to be inside a score. It's, it's going to win the game. It's going to be a fourth quarter game. Yep. You want to go win it in the fourth quarter. You want to go take it from Bama and in the fourth have, quarter and, at home. And a couple things have to happen. You have to weather what's going to be an early storm because you know it will be. Uh, and you got to be yes. ready to play four quarters in three phases. I mean, all three phases have to play four quarters. That's what Nick Saban teams have shown over time. If you let down in any phase for even a half a quarter, they're going to take advantage of you. Block a punt, return a kick. Um, you know, take a uh, pick six, you know, fumble to the house. Uh, yeah. Every phase has to be on point, And that's, you know, I don't know if this is one of Alabama's and Nick Saban's best teams. Might not be. I don't think so. But you still have to go beat it. You still have to go beat them. You got to go take it from them. Yeah. yeah. And we saw that here. Gers uh, Alabama, man, you you had that game. Yeah. But you couldn't play all, you couldn't play four quarters. And they made plays in the fourth quarter. That Texas did not. Uh, okay, so one of the big stories, I love that line from J.C. Sanders. Yeah, we're known as a can't finish in the second half team. Right? Hey, you know what? I love the reality, though. Let's be real. You can let's, change that opinion. Yes, you can change fact. that. Let's you know, stop being polite. Let's start getting real. That's what we're known as, a team that can't finish in the fourth quarter. That's not a four-quarter team, not a fourth-quarter team. Let's change that this season. Um, they're going to have to if they're going to be a championship-caliber team. All right, uh, let's hear from Kelvin Banks. Kevin Banks was asked in his media availability, of course, about the struggles of the offensive line, of course. And they had their struggles versus Rice, and they had some issues picking up a lot of these simulated pressures uh, that we talked about, some of the twists and stunts. Um, here is uh, Kelvin Banks. Got two cuts from Kelvin Banks here, but here's the first cut. I'm talking about what may have been the difference uh, and what may be the difference in Texas improving from week one to week two with offensive line play. Our main goal is communication. Uh, I feel like once we get our communication together and make sure that every, every guy's on the same page, I feel like Pat, the pass pro will handle itself. Because uh, if you have good communication with your with God next to you, everything's going to uh, fall in place. Okay. All right. And so bad communication in the game versus Rice. And remember, basically what I told you is it doesn't necessarily matter about the concept now. Now we know what the weakness for Texas offensive line is. The blueprint is out. <laughs> it's out. The scouting report is out there. You just need them to. You need to force them to communicate post snap. You need to force them to have to communicate post snap and force them to have to pass off defenders post snap. If you can do that in every way you want to do it, Rice did it with twists and stunts, simulated pressures, and amoeba front, something that I've been pointing out for the last six to seven months. So I know Texas knows about it because I was telling you guys about it. All right? And in the Baylor game, was that was exposed in the Baylor game and the pressure packages from Dave Aranda. And, and Rice also added blitzing from the second level and then in a, incorporating that with twists and stunts, but still same – uh, same same thing that you're trying to expose, right? The same liability, the same weakness, which is make them communicate post snap. Make them pass off defenders post snap. If you do that, 
Texas offensive line will struggle. Yeah. That's that's the that's the blueprint right there. Well, and I will say this: uh, if Texas can, you know, tighten that up this week, to what you said, and now that they've seen it again on film here and tighten it up, you know, Quinn yours was good against the blitz last week. I mean, because if you're bringing extra yes, he people, was. he burned the blitz last week. Which you know, again, that that for me with Quinn yours, when he can just react and he doesn't have to read defenses, read coverages, just knows he has single coverage somewhere, he can make those throws. Uh, and his his numbers against Rice's blitz when they protected him were pretty damn good last week. Yep. Uh, just to give you those up, uh, was, he was eleven of fourteen versus the blitz uh, versus Rice. Yeah. Which is that that's really good numbers for him. Yeah. And so it does show you that when he was forced to you know accelerate his clock and speed up his internal clock, and he knew that he would be under pressure. He responded really well, yep. and 11-14 for, I think, 174 yards and two touchdowns, according to Pro Football Focus versus the Blitz. But that's the point of simulated pressure, because what's a simulated pressure? It looks like a Blitz, smells like a Blitz, but it's walks not. like a Blitz, talks like a Blitz, it looks like a Blitz, everything. Everybody thinks it's a Blitz, but it ain't. It's a simulated pressure, which you're only sending four guys. A blitz to me officially is five yep. or more. Um, so you're sending four, you're sending three. It just looks like a blitz, but the offensive line has no idea which three or which four you're sending and which three and which four you're dropping. And that's that's the challenge for the Texas O-line. Uh, another cut here from uh, Kelvin Banks talking about the offensive line and how the they did not play up to their standard. Just make sure we're louder. Uh for instance, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a nice crowd, a nice crowd uh, in Alabama. So, just having that atmosphere and making sure we're getting being able to communicate down the line, not just to um, tackle to tackle, but also to tackle to tight end or tackle to receiver, whoever we need to communicate with. Why was the communication not what you guys wanted it to be against Rice? Can you get into the specifics? Oh, I, I feel like there's no Pacific. I feel like we just. We just, as a unit, uh, we didn't communicate well. I, I feel like that's just it. Like we just, we just didn't go out and play football like like we did in practice. Okay. So is. he's saying they know exactly what they need to and do to fix it, which is communicate. But guys, think about this. It is communication. There is some of that. But once that ball is snapped, guys, that is an unspoken communication. Yes, it is. They, they, there's this. All there is the is that everybody understands and knows what the roles and responsibilities are. But if you're yelling and screaming about, uh, you know, a player that's, you know, running a twist or a stunt, it's not very likely the offensive lineman, you know, the tackle or the guard's going to hear you from the other side of the old line. No. All right. So what do you, what, that communication that talking about? It is unspoken. It is a what babyface called whip appeal, right? We we you and your wife probably do, do it all the time, uh, e, because y'all been together so damn long, right? You get you guys can almost finish each other's thoughts, know what each other's thinking in different situations. That's why the offensive line works together as a unit. That's why uh, more so than any other group, and, and they are considered a unit. We don't even we don't even take individuals from the old line and talk about them. We talk about them as a group because they do have to have that unspoken bond that. And, and that really does connect them and al- allows them to communicate, like we said, but necess- not necessarily, you know, a vocal communication. All right, coming back, we'll go off the record. Great stuff with Rod Babers behind the BOC. We'll have it all week long, getting ready for Texas and Alabama and the uh, huge matchup there in Tuscaloosa. Coming back, it is uh, off the, the record. Uh, Rod, have you heard of something called the uh, the Burning Man? Yes, the uh, yeah festival, the music festival, right? I, I got to get you some details yeah. out of Burning Man. This uh, this got a little wild over the weekend. We'll get you details on that coming back. Ian Rodby. 
Off the Record on Hook 'em Up with Ian Rod B is brought to you by Viking Fence. DD Mega Doo I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Delhi Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a brain bag comb. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And <laughs> thing sucks. Yeah, never sucks. You know what sucks, Rod Babers? What's that? Anybody that went to the Burning Man Festival this weekend? I heard it was a disastrous. Like, is it weather or what yeah, is it? So I guess this is a concert for hippies out in the Nevada desert. Oh yeah, it's a big, oh, it's a huge festival. Huge, huge, huge seventy thousand people yeah, it's, were there. It's, it's, seventy thousand yeah, people massive, were there. Massive. And apparently, it, torrential rain pour, downpours, rain. Mm-hmm. So it turned into a big mud pit. No oh, man, and people were stuck. They couldn't get out. They were uh, and so. How about this? Chris Rock and Diplo. Who's Diplo? Todd. Diplo's a, a hip hop star. DJ. 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 DJ Diplo. Chris Rock and Diplo escaped Burning Man in Nevada by walking six miles through the mud, and then hopping in the back of a fan's pickup truck. <laughs> the festival was hit by heavy rain on Friday night. People were prevented from driving out until Monday. So, so basically, a fan came and just picked up Chris Rock and After this he dude Diplo six miles, and yeah. he just rode back in back of the truck. There he is. There's Chris Rock with his wow. Mets, Mets jacket on. Just look at the mud. What a mess. That is a mess. Oh, so what about the artists? Did the artists cancel or the artists still perform at I Burning Man? Um, Did they still perform? I don't think so. I think they just were trying to get out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like well, The artists, I imagine, wanted to get the hell out of there, but did anybody perform at this thing? From what I understand, it, Burning Man's more about like the cultural. Um, it's not. It's less about the music, more does, about does just going mean out in the so desert. mean it's more about the drugs? Pretty much. But there's like a bunch <laughs> of shops, and I don't know. I okay. I, I was always propositioned with going with my ex-girlfriend, and oh. I was like, I'm never going to go to that. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, there we go. Uh, Diplo <laughs> documented it all on social media. Said, "Quote: I legit walked the side of the road for hours with my thumb out because I have a show in D.C. tonight and didn't want to let y'all down." Man. Also, shout out to this guy for making the oh, smart purchase it's an art of a show. truck. It's not music; it's art shows. They said art okay. show. They have mu- there's definitely music. There's there. music there. But it's I not know about that, the concert. But it's not about the concert, like Ty said. Okay. It's not a big thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right, so there you go, Burning Man. I don't know why they call it that, but uh, there you because go. They, I'm sure it's a drug. They, they no, got a, a big statue, a big burning, and they set them on fire. They, they burn it in the desert. Like, yeah, a, like a big text-looking thing? It's definitely with people getting yeah. getting high. Yeah. <laughs> also, I saw where that it's guy that had the, 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 the big big country song, uh, Oliver. Mm, Oliver, yeah. The, the guy with the song and the North, banjo. Men North Richmond. Richmond North. Yeah, Richmen of North Richmond. He uh, was there, too, and got the, stuck. The guy with the beard. Yeah, Oliver he got Anthony. stuck, too. Yeah, I've seen him. A bunch him, of people. Got, I'm sure you'll be hearing stories because they couldn't get out till Monday. They got there Friday, and they were stuck in the mud. It's, what do you have right off the like record? A, seems like a little yeah, too much. I'm out. It's not worth it. Hard note um, for this Okay, guy. so there was a report that Tom Brady and Irana Shike, the supermodel, yes. were no longer dating because... There was a post that she posted, or at least that made its way on social media, of her and Bradley Cooper. And everybody thought, oh, man, her and Bradley Cooper must be dating again. Uh, Sources with direct knowledge tell us the couple uh, is indeed continuing to date Tom Brady and the supermodel. 
and that they're still romantically involved. Obviously, uh, it says they haven't seen much evidence of them canoodling in public the way they did in July and August, uh, but we're told that they're still an item. It's what TMZ says. Oh, I did see some pictures of uh, she and Bradley Cooper yeah, that's together what that, that's, in Europe. That's why it was being reported that Brady and her were not together, but it says it's unclear what the deal was with Irona's PDA post featuring her ex Bradley Cooper just a couple of weeks ago. But clearly, it hasn't scared Tom Brady off as he is still no, they, seeing her. Don't they have a kid together? Yeah, they raise a child together, so they, maybe they were vacationing with the yeah. child and you know, being nice to one another. Yeah, co-parenting. Co-parenting. All right, I mentioned this, Rod, but uh, are you a mm. fan of the Manning cast on Monday Night Football where you flip it over and you see Peyton and Eli from their basements? I am a fan. I don't watch it a lot, but I am a fan. I'm a fan of it. I get all the highlights. It's, it's good for a game that like you don't really care about watching. That's good. Yeah, that especially good when they point. get a funny yeah. guest or like Charles Barkley or somebody will come on there. Like, I would never watch that for a Cowboys game. Yeah, no. I'm watching too much football for too it. Intent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's just a game that, that has no interest to you. That makes sense. Uh, I would say this for, but by the way, that's the opposite of what we do on Inside Texas because that's this deep dive stuff. We're actually talking about the game. Talking like, all about the all game. All exactly. About the game. <laughs> yeah. There's no entertainment. About, well, it's, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. We're about, hey, it's, what about this play? What about this formation? Yeah. What are we seeing? What's wrong with, with why can't yeah. Quinn throw the deep ball? <laughs> that's all stuff we're talking about in real time. Uh, but so for Peyton Manning, he put out a picture on his Instagram yesterday or whatever his social media, from his his and Omaha Productions, which is the company he owns, that puts this show on. And it's him holding up a binder, sitting in a chair, the chair he does the show from. And the, the front cover of the binder says, Third Host Auditions Confidential. Mm. So teasing that maybe there is a third host joining the Manning cast. Do you who have any guess of who that, that might be? I know. I'm trying to rack my brain. We'll let our audience guess. Who might that be? They're obviously teasing that they're planning on a third host. Cooper? Maybe Cooper? Is he is he left uh, Deep Eddie the Deep Eddie Cabaret yet or or Don's Depot? I didn't see him at Don's this week. I guess you could just go all Mannings. Yeah, he's the Manning. Cast. Cooper would be good. I guess you can go all Mannings and they could just Archie? make fun of each other. Arch, what about Arch? No. What? No. Archie. No. By the way, speaking Archie, of that, I, I, I want to be on there. He's too I, old. I did see current USC quarterback Caleb Williams doing that Heisman House commercial. Oh, like, is he the, doing it already? Yeah, he's already nice. in it. He's already in the Heisman House. That's pretty cool. Hanging out with the Heisman guys. He got one. Yeah, then it's legal right. now. Mm-hmm. Anybody have a guess who's going to be? That is good, man. Who's Who it going to be? be? I, I, yeah, it's, it's just, I, I wonder if they'll go with like they don't need comic relief, but they could go that route. What about like Philip Rivers? Well, he's got too many kids. <laughs> he's got like eleven kids. That's he why he needs time. another job. That's why he <laughs> needs the check coming in. Dude, there's no way these have kids crawling all over him. It can't be Drew Brees. <laughs> Drew Brees is too oh, straight. Too straight. He's too straight. He's too straight. It can't be a quarterback. Well, I guess, well, I guess it either has to be a quarterback or it's got to be something opposite of a quarterback. Mm. You know, someone who talks defense or something. I don't know. Yeah. Jeff Saturday. Oh, no. yeah. His center. That's my center. That's a good question, though, man. Actually, what? Yeah, because it could have been. And now, because they just had a shake up with like ESPN all those morning shows and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they grabbed up some of the, the talent because Richard Sherman probably would have been good on it or something like that. Right. I know yeah. he's working on that new show. Specs text line 512 337 3776. Give us defense. your guess. They need defense. Yeah. Ray mm. Lewis or something like that? I don't know. Uh, mm. I'm not sure about Ray. Ray's a little too over the top. Yeah, probably. For the whole thing. It's a little too intense. He does. He gets a little too. He <laughs> might come through the TV at some point. I don't know if he's doing like a Ravens game. He'll be just sweating in there all the time. Ray Lewis sweats a lot because he's so intense. He's like, he's ready to fight. <laughs> all right, we'll he sweats a lot. All right. He looks guilty. Either way. Do you have any other uh, <laughs> off the record? Uh, no, nah, we're all the time. We're, so uh, we're good. All right, we'll come back. We'll pick up the football chatter. Also, how about Cade Klubnik last night? He and his Clemson Tigers. 
number nine team in the country, but uh, mm. fraudulent. They didn't lose as a two-touchdown favorite at Duke. They got beat 28-7. to Got beat. Like they stole some. Stole some. Put it on them. 21 off the stick. That means you got off the stick on the Madden. You get 21 like off the stick, man. Done. We'll also Give go back up. into the Texas recap. Steve Sarkeesian talking about his team's performance against Rice, what they have to work on, what they have to build on, and pretty big game coming on Saturday at uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's Ian Rod B. Ty is here as well. You are here, and we appreciate however you're finding us on this Tuesday morning. It's 1019 AM 1260. Stream it on the Horn app on your smart speaker at home and work. Always at hornfm.com.